going to be in week three. I'm going to give you just a quick recap here as we begin. But this series is really based um, just by looking at our culture, looking at, and really kind of uh, assessing where we are in a biblical timeline and realizing that, hey, we are in an interesting time and moment. And this is what we know is that we have never been here before. And this is an interesting time. And as believers, as Christians, as followers of Christ, we need to be aware of the day and the time in which we live. Because if we know the day and the time, then it also tells us how we are to live. And this is very important. And so I'm not going to give you all the the background (coughs) of this, but I'm going to share the scripture with you where this, where the title, even if comes from, and it's a story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. There were three Hebrew boys living in uh, the nation of Babylon at the time, and they were serving. They had positions of authority and power. Go listen to week one, and I'll fill you in on all that detail. But uh, there was basically, they were given a choice. There was a golden statue that had been resurrected, and it says, hey, when you hear the music play, You need to bow down and worship. And if you don't, I'm going to throw you into a a fire. I'm going to throw you into a furnace. And so these three Hebrew boys have this remarkable story. And really, it's, it's a legendary stand, if you will, for their faith. And the Bible tells us in the, it's in the book of Daniel. And of course, that's also, if if you've been around, uh, maybe VBS or grew up around Church, you've heard about Daniel in the lion's den. Well, these were some of Daniel's friends. These were, these were people that he knew and they hung around with. And here in chapter 3 of Daniel, starting in verse 15, King Nebuchadnezzar, who was the king of Babylon at the time, he tells them, because he calls them in and says, guys, look, I like you guys. Y'all are sharp. Y'all are like some of my inner crew. Like, but I'm going to give you one more shot. I know that, that I know I said that if you didn't bow, it's going to, you were going to burn, but I'm going to give you one more shot. And he says, but if you refuse, you will be thrown immediately into a burning furnace. It says, and then what God will be able to rescue you from my power. Now, this is important because I believe that as the church, especially here in America, we've been unbelievably blessed and we've had a lot of favor upon us because of the foundations of our nation. But those foundations are changing rapidly. I mean, very rapidly. And so where... Christian Christianity has been the norm and has kind of been more the standard. It's becoming more and more in the peripheral, the secondary, the side of things. Now, here's what can happen. That can actually shake us because we can say, well, what's happening? Well, let me just help you with this. Every time that the church is on the edges, it actually thrives. When it comes into the mainstream, it actually becomes diluted and less powerful. You can look throughout scripture and you can see this to be true. Is that when the church actually gets some resistance, the church actually begins to shine. The, the, those who would believe in God and Nebuchadnezzar, and I believe that we are already there, but I believe it's only going to get stronger as we walk this thing out. And here we see where it said, where Nebuchadnezzar makes a statement. It says, what God will be able to rescue you from my power. Now, we may not hear these exact words, but I don't know if you've ever been ridiculed for your faith. I don't know if people have ever really questioned you or told you how ignorant you were to believe the Bible. If you've never experienced that, it's coming. I hate to be the bearer of bad news. But part of my job as a pastor, which another word for that is shepherd, is what? To watch out for the flock and to say, hey, there's wolves. There, there's, a, there's aggressors out there. Pay attention, right? 
And so that's part of why I'm sharing and communicating some of these things. It's because we need to know what's happening. We need to know what's coming. And I love Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego's response because they respond to King Nebuchadnezzar. Because he, he asked the question, he says, what God will save you or rescue you from my power? And it says, oh, so they respond and say, King Nebuchadnezzar, we don't need to defend ourselves before you. Here's one of the things I would encourage you. Don't try to defend yourself. Let God defend you. Let God's word prove itself out in your life. You don't have to try to convince somebody that your way is right. Only the Holy Spirit can do that anyways. We just need to live our life and let our fruit speak for itself. And here they said that we don't need to defend ourselves. It says if we're thrown into the burning furnace, the God. Pastor John shared this last week in uh, the, the land of Babylon. They were a polytheistic society, which means they had numerous gods, not just like four or five. I mean, thousands of gods. And so when they said what God, Nebuchadnezzar is saying, what God is going to rescue you. He said, hey, from the pantheon of gods that we have, who's greater than me? That's really what he said. And then, then these three boys responded, the really young men at this point, and they said, the God, in other words, the God of Israel that we serve, not the gods that you're aware of, not the gods that you know of, but the living God, the one, the true, the living God, he is the one who we serve and he is able to save us. And it says, and he will rescue us from your power, your majesty. And he makes a statement, he says, but even if... But even if he doesn't, now it wasn't a question of if God would. This is actually a statement of their attitude. They said, even if God wouldn't deliver me. Now they've already said he will. So they're not questioning. Well, you know, it's not like this kind of extra cause. Like, well, you know, if God doesn't come through, that's not what even if means. Even if means, even if he didn't deliver me, even if I wasn't, even if I didn't have the confidence that he would deliver me, I still have the conviction to stand. So this isn't like a, like an out for God, like God, well, in case you don't show up, let me just help you out here. That's not what this is. It's very different. But they said, even if he doesn't, even if he doesn't deliver us, we want to make it clear to you, your majesty, that we will never serve your gods or worship the gold statue that you have been and that you have set up. And so this becomes something that we can look at. And really, it's a matter of who are we going to serve and who are we going to live for and all of these things that we can look at. And here, just like Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, they had a decision Were they going to live according to the convictions of their heart or were they going to bow to the culture that they found themselves in? Now, I don't have time to get into all it, but they were from a very, they were not born in Babylon. They were brought there as servants, as slaves. They changed their name. They changed their identity. They tried to teach them all of the customs of the culture. And yet they still had convictions that didn't line up with that culture. You know, as believers, the Bible instructs us that we are what we are in this world, but we are no longer of this world. We don't just live our life any old way that we choose to. We've actually surrendered our heart, our life, our decisions to Christ. He is now the Lord of our life. 
That's what that word Lord means. It means you're in control, not me. I do what you tell me to do. Now, Paul said it this way. He said that I'm a bond servant. I'm a willing servant. I'm not one that, that God has to, you know, do things to or to drive me in some way. No, that God motivates me by his goodness and by his grace. But we have to be willing to stand up even in the face of opposition. I've already mentioned this, but we are unbelievably blessed in our nation. Unbelievably blessed. We have some of the, the we pro, in my opinion, we have the most religious freedom of any place on the planet. But we can also become lulled to sleep in our prosperity of, of freedoms. But we can also lose the more, and I don't mean just national freedom. We can actually lose our spiritual freedoms if we're not paying attention. See, the government cannot take freedom in Christ from me, but I can lay it down. And I can allow circumstances and situations to pull me off of what I know to be true and cause me to begin to look at other situations and other circumstances and to pull back from the very convictions that I have based on God's word. Because God's word is my standard, not my situation. And that's important. God's word is the standard. See, and if we understand the Bible... And I'm going to make this super, super simple. All the Bible is the story of a collision course between two kingdoms. That's what the whole Bible is about. You see it in Genesis. You see two parties represented. You see the kingdom of God. And then you see the kingdom of Satan. And the Bible is the story of a war that is happening. And it has been happening since the Garden of Eden. You go all the way through the book of Revelation and you you actually see a lot of militant type of conversation being had in the book of Revelations. Why? Because it's the culmination of all of these years of history coming to a head, coming to a point. And whether we realize it or not, we are all part of that historic collision course. And if we look at scripture and we look at what the Bible says... Because here's the thing, the Bible is not just a book that's written about history. The Bible is also a book that is written about the future with unbelievable accuracy. And so we can see throughout scripture where it talks about that, hey, there's signs and there's things that we can look to that kind of give us mile markers along the way. And this is what I can tell you. I'm not saying that Jesus is coming back tomorrow. I'm not saying that he's coming back next year. I'm not telling you that he's coming back in 10 years. I don't know. But this is what I can tell you. We have more signs coming to pass at greater regularity right now than any season in human history. Yes, we've seen a lot of these things, but not all happening at the same time. There's actually prophetic scriptures that talk about the return of Christ. And the Bible says that even as we get into the last days, things are going to go haywire. Everything will be turned upside down. Up will be down. Down will be up. Left will be right. I mean, you name it. It says that good will now be evil. And evil things are going to be called good. I mean, you go and look at Paul's words to Timothy about the last days. I'll just give you one example. Second Timothy chapter two, he talks about this. He says, in the last days, men will be lovers of themselves. We have selfie sticks. 
Have we ever lived in a time where more people were consumed by self than today? Let me give you another one that's in the list. He says that nothing will be sacred. Nothing. Is there anything in our culture that's still sacred? And that's just two of them. He lists, I think, eight. Eight markers, I believe. I think it's eight. I may be wrong, but I think it's eight. That says, hey, in the last days, these things are going to happen. Jesus talked about it. Jesus talked a lot about it. The Bible talks a lot about it. And so we're a part of this epic battle, if you will. The Bible says we were born into the kingdom of darkness. We were born into the kingdom of Satan. You're like, but I didn't do anything. But you were born into sin. And the Bible says that we can make a decision to what? To change teams. Now, let me just tell you, if you like to win, I can tell you whose team you want to be on. How can I tell you? Because the Bible already tells me how the story ends. God said that it's one of the reasons that we can be so confident in Scripture is he says, I will declare the end of something from the very beginning. And he did that in the book of Genesis. When he told the devil, he told Satan, he said, look, you will bruise his heel, but he being Christ, the son, the Messiah, he will crush your head. That sounds like decisive victory. You will bruise him, he will crush you. And so, but we can make that decision. We call that decision salvation. There's other scriptures that would tell us that we're being transferred out of the kingdom of darkness and into the kingdom of who? Of Jesus, the, the kingdom of God. And so we now know which team we're on and that's important. You know, I, I, I like to watch those blooper reels sometimes and like where people like, you know, like right now there's basketball on TV, but like somebody shoots it in the other team's basket because they don't realize like your, your goal's down there. Or like one of those football players where it gets a fumble and the guy picks up and is running the wrong way. I always think it's really funny when one of his own teammates goes and tackles him to keep him from scoring a touchdown. It's like, hey, you won't listen, just, just take him out, right? It's important to know which team you're on. It's very important. Why? Because it has eternal ramifications forever. Forever. And so even during this time and in this season, I shared this with you previously and I'll share it again, is that the war that we're in is actually a battle over our heart. It's not just these external things. The Bible tells us this. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against what? Principalities and powers and rulers of the darkness. The kingdom of darkness. We are in a fight. Well, he's, the enemy will use all methods possible, necessary, useful at his disposal to influence us. But it is not to externally affect us. It is to internally affect us. And the enemy will do this. And and we may not have a King Nebuchadnezzar today, but I can guarantee you there are statues that have been resurrected that are saying, worship us, worship us, worship us. Why? Because they're after our heart and worship can only come out of your heart. And so enemy, so this battle is over our heart. And so I, I shared this with you previously, but I believe that culture is not just after our attention. If you want to find some interesting studies, go find out how many times that you're marketed to in a day. I'll spare you some time. It's over 5,000 times a day. 
How many billboards did you pass today coming to church? How many emails do you get every day selling you a product? How many commercials do you see? And those are just natural things. What about ways of thinking, ideologies, belief systems? They're constantly pressing, trying to what? To force you into a mold and their goal is not just to get your attention. You know, it's kind of like when you see a billboard work, it's like, do billboards work? And they're like, got you, you're right. They're not just after our attention. They, the goal is to capture our heart. Now, that word heart there really means our devotion. It means our worship. It means our allegiance. You know, we used to say it all the time, the pledge of allegiance, right? And what are you doing? You're, you're, you're putting voice to say, I pledge my allegiance to the flag of the United States of America. Right? And we would do the whole pledge of allegiance. I remember even in school that we would do this. But culture is constantly fighting and vying for our attention, yes, but it's not just for your attention. It's ultimately to get your heart. Because why? There, the, the enemy has a plan. Just like there's two kingdoms, there's also two plans for your life. God has a plan and the devil has a plan. John 10.10 10 talks about it. One's for good, one's for destruction. So we have to be aware and understand this. You know, I, I said this a couple of weeks ago, and, and I'll share it with you again, is that we'll never, ha- we'll never control what happens to us. Never. People will be nasty. People are not going to be friendly. And we've lived in a very secluded bubble in many ways in our nation because of our foundation. But as I've already told you, and, and I don't have to tell you this, you already know it. The foundation is no longer solid. It is crumbling. And so persecution, aggression is going to come for the church. But that shouldn't, and I'm not saying these things to alarm you. Quite the opposite. I want to give you some hope. Because we don't have to be afraid. We don't have to be nervous. You know, here's the reality is that when we are afraid, we are at our absolute worst. We will make the worst decisions when we're afraid. And so many times we'll just just try to get afraid of and then we'll try to scramble to get away from it. And so so we can't control the external things like the Bible is clear. This thing is headed a certain way. I can't control that. But what I can control is what happens inside of me. What happens inside of my heart and in my spirit is that chaos may be outside, but I don't have to let that chaos seep onto the inside of me because that's what culture wants. That's what the enemy wants. That's what the kingdom of darkness wants. He wants chaos and fear to rule your heart. Why? Because your spirit is affected. And it is important for us to know this. So I told you this before, I shared this with you, is that we've got to have some thick skin about us, a strong back. We've got to have a spine about us, but we've got to have some tender hearts because it's easy to get thick skin and a hard heart. And that doesn't do any good. And that's not what God wants from us. It's quite the opposite. He wants us to remain tender towards him, but to be able to take some stuff. You know, I have a hard time watching modern basketball. I won't call any names. But when you're six foot six plus 
and 275 pounds and somebody does this and it's I'm like, dude, you ought to just look at that guy and be like, did somebody touch me? That's why I loved like Shaquille O'Neal. Like guys be hanging on his back. He's like, I'm going to break the backboard anyway. Like you can come along for the ride, but I'm going up there. I just like that attitude. I just do. I'm like, man, be a man. Like just stand up and take it. You know, just be like you can't stop me even if you wanted to. I kind of like that attitude. You know, the Bible says in Proverbs 28, verse 1, it says that we as the righteous, when we know who we are, and this is a battle of our identity. It really is. It's who do we identify with? But when we understand who we are in Christ, the Bible says that when we are in Christ, we are righteous. Proverbs 28, 1 says that the righteous are as bold as a lion. We ought to have some intestinal fortitude about us, a little bit of a fight to us, if you will. And I'm not saying that we're going out and looking for a fight. That's not what I'm saying. Please hear me. But what we don't want to be is the cowardly lion from the Wizard of Oz either. Run around. I mean, I went back and I watched the original clip of the original version and you know, just to familiarize myself with the story a little bit. And so the lion comes out and of course it was made in the 30s and so it's you know, it was made in the 30s, right? And so it's pretty funny, though. But he runs out. And he runs over to Tin Man. He's like yelling at him. He's like, oh, gosh, leave me alone, leave me alone, you know, and all this stuff. And so he, he goes to the different characters, to the straw man also. And then, you know, he's running around screaming, yelling. I mean, you know, we would call it bad theater today, but back then it was revolutionary, right? And so then, but then you got little Dorothy, and he's running after Toto, and she runs over, and she just slaps him on the nose. He's like, She's like, what's wrong with you? Why don't you pick up somebody your own size? And she's like half the size of all the rest of them. You know, and he's like, well, I'm supposed to be courageous, but I'm just not. And of course, he wants to go see the wizard to get his courage, right? Well, where do we get our courage? It comes from inside. It comes from our spirit, man, that will rise up on the inside of us. You don't have to go look for the wizard. You have God living on the inside of you. And the Bible says that greater is the one on the inside of you than anything that's outside. And you have nothing to be afraid of. And so I wonder if at times we keep asking God to deliver us from situations when we really should be asking God for the courage and the strength to stand. I'll remind you of another story that God did not remove the Red Sea. But he did part it. He parted the Red Sea. And the Bible says that the children of Israel, because they were pressed up in a moment. There was water behind them and there were soldiers coming for them. Well, they couldn't swim across the sea, but if they stayed on the beach, guess what? They were going to die. And God showed up and he parted the Red Sea so that they could go across. One of the men who was a part of that moment, his name was Joshua. He was one of the ones who served under Moses. He was actually the next in command, even though he didn't know it. And when Moses passes away, God gives Joshua some instructions that I believe gives us some wisdom today. And starting in Joshua chapter one, verse six, there's three times that God uses the same phrase to Joshua because I mean, you go and read it. God's like, Moses is dead. Joshua, you're in charge. Let's go. Thanks for the pep talk. Like, I mean, literally it's just like, Hey, he's gone. Forget about him. Got to move forward. 
And in verse 6 of Joshua 1, he says, gives some instructions. He says, be strong and courageous, for you are the one who will lead these people to possess all the land that I swore to their ancestors that I would give them. He says it again, be strong and very courageous. So now here's our instructions. He says, be careful to obey all the instructions that Moses gave you. Which that was the law. That was the original books of the Bible that we have today. First five books of the Bible is what he's actually specifically referring to. But he says, pay attention to what? To, to obey all of the instructions that Moses gave you. Well, Moses didn't give them. God gave them. So this still applies to us. So, hey, read your Bible and do what your Bible says. Christianity is not that hard. We make it hard because we want to look for the gray areas. And we want to be like, yeah, but what about this? And what about that? Just read the Bible and do what it says. And when you're like, I can't do that, you have the greater one on the inside of you. Ask for some help. The Bible says he will bring grace into your life. And he goes, he goes on, he says, do not deviate from them. What? His instructions. It says, turning neither from the left or to the right. In other words, stay focused. He says, then you will be successful in everything that you do. Study. Don't just read it. Study it. In other words, commit it to memory. Get it into your heart. Study this book of instruction continually. He says, meditate on it. Think about it. Read it. Study it, think about it. Read it, study it, think about it. Do I need to say it again? Read it, study it, think about it. Like this should not be the only hour of your week that scripture is on your mind. And if that's the case, that might have something to do with how you experience your Christian life Monday through Saturday. So read it, study it, meditate on it. He says day and night so that you will be sure to obey. Why? Because we're forgetful people. Meditate. I mean, he's got to be on the inside of you. Here's another reason that you need to meditate on it. Because it, it literally, that word meditate means like a, a cow chewing his cud, which I won't go into the details. It's kind of nasty. He eats his food multiple times. He chews it, swallows it, chews it, swallows it over and over and over again. Now, this isn't interesting. This isn't nasty, but it is, it is interesting. The reason a cow does that is to squeeze out every bit of nutrient out of that food. So that nothing is missed and nothing is wasted. So he says to, to meditate on it. Here's the other reason that we want to meditate. We don't want to just read it. We want to study it. Why? Because it gets into our heart. Why? Because when circumstances hit, most of the time, we don't have time to go be like, where's that scripture that I read like two years ago? I think this is in the Bible somewhere. And look, we all have moments like that. We have Google for that. You can go get on the internet. Just search what you can remember. Whoa, hello. I don't know what just happened. Ooh, there we go. No, we want to, what? Why? Because the Bible gives us courage. It gives us strength. It gives us the ability to stand. He goes on and he says, only then will you prosper and succeed in all you do. He says, this is my command. 
Not a suggestion, a command to Joshua, which is also to us. He says, be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or discouraged. And here's why. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. One of my favorite scriptures, probably is my favorite scripture. I will never leave you and I will never forsake you. I will not leave you like an orphan who's helpless, hopeless, or by themselves. I will be with you and I will come for you. See, we live, and, and we know this, is that our culture is becoming, and we, I'll say it this way, our culture is becoming more anti-Christian, but in reality, and scripturally accurate, it's actually becoming more anti-Christ. Now, again, you go look at the book of Revelations, there's about 40 names for the Antichrist, but it's a spirit that is at work and has been at work since the Garden of Eden. And our nation is being influenced by an Antichrist spirit. Now, a spirit works through people. Just like with Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar was actually a type of the Antichrist. He has lots of names, but ultimately, his name is the Antichrist. What does that mean? He's against Christ. And we live in this culture. So how do we, and so what do we do knowing this as believers? How do we make up our minds and how do we respond? Because we have to choose. Are we going to bow Are we going to stand? That's our decision. This is not complicated. Another scripture to go along with what I was just sharing with you, and I love this. This comes out of Isaiah 50, verse 7 and 8. It says, because the sovereign Lord helps me, because God is on my side, because the Lord helps me, I will not be disgraced. He says, therefore, I have set my face like a stone. In other words, I've already charted my course and I'm not changing my mind, even if. It says, I'm determined to do his will. And I know that I will not be put to shame. And that he who gives justice to, or he who gives me justice is near. God is always near to those who are willing to stand. We have to make the decisions to stand up for the truth of God's word. Another very familiar passage of Scripture is 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8 and 9. But I, the first part we quote all the time, but I want you to hear the second part of the verse because a lot of times we don't read the second part of the verse. He says, be well balanced and always alert because your enemy, the devil, roams around incessantly like a roaring lion looking for its prey to devour. Now we hear that verse quoted all the time. Be aware, pay attention. You have an enemy, he's looking. Here's the good news. It says he's looking for someone who is susceptible to attack. He does not have the power to overtake you, but you can lay down and let him devour. You can lay down your convictions and allow hell to run wild in your life if you want. But it goes on here and it says, take a decisive stand against him. A definite, definitive moment. This is what I believe. This is who I believe in. And I will not back off of these things because I have a conviction in my heart of the reality of this. It says, make a decisive stand against him. Resist his every attack with strong and vigorous faith. It says, now this is the part I want you to hear as well. It says, for you know that your believing brothers and sisters around the world are experiencing the same kinds of trouble that you endure. Except we have light afflictions. 
We have light persecution, if I'm just very honest with you, compared to many of our brothers and sisters in the world who are literally laying their life on the line for the cause of Christ. And it's not an indictment against us. We're unbelievably fortunate that we live where we live. But don't be lulled to sleep to not pay attention or to realize that there are people who today will die because of their profession of Christ. Given the decision to burn or to bow, they would burn. Because of what Christ has done in them is such a deep conviction. There will be people today that will be beheaded for their faith. And they will ask them, renounce your faith or I will cut your head off. And they say, you might as well go ahead and swing. We're fortunate that we don't live in that kind of environment. But don't kid yourself to believe that that is not happening. It's happening all around the world. We are the exception, not the rule. And we get mad when somebody says something negative about us to our Facebook post. post. Is that we need thicker skin as Christians. We need to be stronger into what we believe and why we believe it. Why? Because we want to make it to the end. I want to be a part of seeing God's kingdom advance and come to pass and to reach more people. But I have to have a faith. Why? Because people are watching you. At your job, they're watching you. They may never tell you that in your neighborhoods. People are watching. They want to see how you respond. They want to receive, want to see how you do things, how you live your life. Why? Because they're like, man, if there's anything true, they should live differently. We are called to live different counterculture from the world in which we find ourselves. So how do we do this? How do we, how do we make this kind of a stand? The Bible tells us in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 23, it says, let us hold tightly, take a firm grasp. It says, without wavering to the hope that we affirm. It says, for God can be trusted to keep his promise. God is faithful. He can be trusted to keep his promise. This word, uh, hold tightly, is actually the word steadfastness. Now, it's not a word that we really use that much. But that word literally means to the ability to bear up under trial, under circumstance, under weight, that we can bear up under anything. Now, look, this is not in our own strength. You will not be able to do this by yourself and of yourself. You can't just muster up some more strength for today. It's the greater one living on the inside of you that will cause you to bear up. And that's important. So you could say hold tightly. You could say steadfastness. Let me give you a word that's a little more in our vocabulary. It means stay steady. Don't get moved. Be stable. Because it's easy. We live in turbulent times, right? We also serve the Savior who was in the midst of a hurricane and asleep in the same boat. Everybody else was freaked out, and he's back there taking a nap. The disciples go and they get to Jesus. They're like, don't you care that we're going to die? 
Jesus is in the same boat. If they die, he dies. And what does Jesus do? The Bible says he stands up and he speaks to the winds and the waves and says, peace be still. Now, here's the key to that story because everybody's like, well, man, I I wish I could calm my storm. Here's how you do it. Because this is the reason Jesus could speak to that storm and make it become calm. He had peace on the inside of him. And all he was doing was taking his authority and transferring his peace onto those winds and the wave. Now, what we can't do is to have chaos in us and expect to speak to something. Because guess what's going to happen? Chaos is it? Why? Like, I'll give you an example. This is, so, this is a natural example. I have two little kids. Not so little anymore. They're getting bigger. But if I'm frazzled and they get freaked out and I'm frustrated and I try to go snatch them up and behave and quiet down and get it together. What's wrong with you? Guess what they're not going to do? They're not going to settle down and get calm and quiet. As a matter of fact, they're just going to ramp up even more. So sometimes what I have to do is take the long route. Lord Jesus, help me. I need some peace. I need some calm right now because I'm ready to kill somebody. So Lord Jesus, I just thank you for your peace that guards my heart and my mind right now. That it's going to help me to love these kids. Yes. How can I help you? You laugh because you know it's true. And sometimes we need to take a moment and just say, Lord, whoo, man, I've got some pressure on me right now. And man, these accusations are coming and people are, are challenging things in my life. And, and man, I just feel like I'm overwhelmed. But you know what? You're on the inside of me and you're greater than anything on the outside of me. So I need peace on the inside of me so that I can stand in my peace. And now with the authority of Christ, I can speak into my situations. That's the reason Jesus could do that. He wasn't trying to do something with what he didn't have. He was doing something because of what he had. So we've got to be able to be steady, stable, to stay anchored. Now, there's an old phrase, and this is a pretty good indicator, I believe, of the times in which we live right now. But I think it's funny, sort of lighten the mood a little bit, a little bit. Tells you my dark humor here. You know, the only people that get hurt on a roller coaster are those who jump off, right? There's lots of ups and downs to roller coasters. I love roller coasters. I love everything about them. You're like, I feel like I'm going to die. I know. But there's ups and there's downs and there's turns and there's, I didn't see that one coming and, you know. All of these things, but you're safe as long as you stay in your seat. It's when you decide to hit the eject button that you're going to get hurt. Well, there's this massive moment. It's the war of the ages between these two kingdoms that we're trying to live in the middle of. My encouragement is to stay in your seat. Why? Because that's where God is. He wins. 
In the end, Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Master. Jesus is Supreme. Let me give you two scriptures. I've got to hurry up. Now, let me give you three real quick. I'm just going to quote one. 2 Timothy 2.3, Paul tells Timothy, he says, Endure hardness like a good soldier. Now, I know you don't like that. I don't like that. Endure hardness like a good soldier. Endure. Got to have some endurance about you. Well, you're going to have to fight to endure. And I don't mean fight somebody else. You're going to have to fight yourself to endure. To just say, nope, I'm not throwing in the towel. I'm going to keep going. James chapter 1, verse 2 through 4 says, Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. Wait, wait, wait. You just said trial and, and bad stuff, and I'm supposed to find joy in it. Yes, because we're counterculture. I, I don't live by my emotions. I'm glad I have them, but if I let them run my life, I'm in trouble. I'm called to what? Bring my emotions. You know, Jesus didn't just die for our body and our spirit. He died for our soul as well, which is your mind, your will, your emotions. And sometimes we have to bring our emotions under the lordship of Christ. Say, my emotions are getting the best of me. I mean, I have to be careful because I'm a passionate person. And I believe things very deeply. And that passion can look like anger real quick. And if I think that something's not right, I will stand and defend. And I have to be careful because sometimes I need to take a step back. Sometimes that means keeping my mouth shut because I'm like, you know, mama said, if you ain't got nothing nice to say, well, I ain't got, I'm out. <laughs> Holy Spirit, you can tell me when I can talk because I can't. I don't trust myself right now. I got lots of things to say, but I don't need to say it. That's enduring. Accuse me all you want, right? I'll just let my life prove it out. That's, that ought to be the attitude for us as believers. Say what you want about us. My life will prove it out. James says that this is a great opportunity for us to find great joy. He says, for when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. And he says, so let it grow. For when your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect to complete, lacking or needing nothing. Verse 12, and this is important. Very, very important. Like, man, we're in this cosmic fight. Yeah, but it's coming to an end. I can't tell you when, I don't know when. In verse 12, it says that God blesses those who patiently endure testing and temptation. And it says that afterward, after what? After the battle? It says afterwards, they will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. We're not living for this life. This is not our finish line. This is part of the race. It's not the finish the finish is when I stand before Jesus. Not in perfection. Or I'll say it this way. Not in my perfection. When I stand in his grace and he says, well done, good and faithful. 
that there really is an eternity to live for. And the choice is up to every one of us where we're going to spend eternity. God, let, let me just... God doesn't send anybody to hell. People choose. I set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. It's in Judges. I believe it's 24, 15 or 16, something like that. I set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. You choose. Take your pick. It's up to you. God's gracious. He's not going to force anything on anybody. You choose. I want to read you one last scripture here as I close out today. It comes out of Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 32. But it ties in with that scripture in James that we were just reading. It says, think back in verse 32. It says, think back on the early days when you first learned about Christ. Now, I believe this is Paul. There's some debate as to who wrote Hebrews. I personally believe it was probably Paul, but... He's writing to Christians and he says, think back to those days when you first believed. He says, remember how you faithfully or remained faithful, even though it meant terrible suffering. He says, sometimes you were exposed to public ridicule and were even beaten. And sometimes you helped others who were suffering the same things. He said, you suffered along with those who were thrown into jail. And when all you owned was taken from you, you accepted it as joy. That's a very challenging verse to me. If they showed up at my house today and said, we're confiscating everything you own and you're going to jail because of what you said this morning in church. The instructions that I have from from scripture here are accept it with joy. Accept it with joy. Like the disciples said, Lord, increase my faith. That's what I would say. If I'm just totally transparent with you am i really at that point where if they came and just confiscated everything said hey you're gonna go to jail because something that you said they didn't say i mean you accepted it with joy here's how you're like i can't do that i'm out of here here's how they did it it tells us it goes on here and it says you knew There were better things waiting for you that will last forever. Don't put too much stock in the natural things. Don't put put too much stock in the numbers that are associated in your bank account. Because all those things are temporary. Nothing wrong with money necessarily. The love of money, yes, but money in and of itself, we all need it. I like air conditioner, praise the Lord. Hallelujah. I've been redeemed (laughs) some days. No, he says, you knew because they knew there was something better ahead. They could have joy. And it says, so do not throw, throw away this confident trust in the Lord. Remember the great reward that it brings you. Patient endurance is what you need now. Another word, two, two nasty words put together. Patient endurance like a double whammy patient endurance is what you need now so that you will continue to do god's will says then you will receive all that god has promised and here's your promise from scripture 
For in just a little while, the coming one will come and he will not delay. And my righteous ones will live by faith. He says, I will take no pleasure in those who turn away. But we are not like those who turn away from God to their destruction. We are the faithful ones whose souls will be saved. So whether you realize, you, you, you may think, well, man, I, I never have to make the decision to either stand or to, to bow or to burn. Sure you do. That question is still as applicable for us today as it has ever been to anybody in all of human history. Because we have a choice. If we bow, it'll be to our own destruction. That's what the scriptures say right here. Says, but hey, we're not those people. We're we're those, we're the faithful ones who what? Who stick to their convictions that hold to what they know. And it says, and in doing so, we will receive the full salvation of our souls. Now I know this is heavy. I know you came to church hoping I'd make you laugh, and we'd just be like, Praise Jesus. Not today, I'm sorry. I'm your reality check this week. Your scriptural reality check. See, we, we have to make a decision who we're going to live for. And that's more than raising our hand, coming to church, soothing our conscience, just, oh, I punched my church card. But when push comes to shove, that won't be enough. You've got to have some real deep conviction in your heart of, no, I know the one that I've believed in. I know the one I've believed in. And I'm not going to back away from that. And so this morning, I want to give you an opportunity. Maybe you're here.